Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I mean, come on, no one plans to get sick. And yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. I survived cancer, a stroke, and COVID-19, and I'm still here. I also survived our broken healthcare system, and I want to help you survive it too. So let's go make healthcare suck less together, because we're all out of patience. Hey friends, welcome back. A quick reminder before we get started, if you like the show, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave me a rating and review. It really fuels my validation needs or don't, either way. On the show today, Dr. Kelly Stecker is an OBGYN at M Health Fairview Center for Women and the co-founder and president at Patient Care Heroes, a mental health service and community support platform for frontline medical professionals during COVID. A proud band geek whose favorite book is To Kill a Mockingbird, Kelly lives the Hippocratic Oath every day while juggling a career, a family, two kids, and the impact of COVID. Our conversation focuses on reproductive rights, physician burnout life hacks, healthcare access in rural communities, empathy in med school, and oh, so much more. Enjoy the show. Kelly Stecker, thank you so much for coming in out of patience. It is an absolute joy to welcome you to the program. Thank you so much for having me. So I know we want to talk about a whole bunch of stuff, but I, in the spirit of 2021 and never read the comments, I did want to touch upon your health grades site. <laughs> I just think, you know, it's, it's good to know it exists, but did you know that you have 54 five-star ratings? Um, I have not. And I actually try not to Google myself because I don't think it's super healthy to do. So thank you for telling me that. But no, I, I did not know that. I think if you ever need a little boost, <laughs> it's nice to know that you have the best comment section on the internet. All right. Well, I'll, I'll keep that in mind for a, you know, a depressed, cold winter day here in Minnesota. For sure. I mean, there are themes consistent themes throughout, which leads me to kind of my first question. Everyone's like, you are empathetic and you have the best bedside manner and you appreciate them for being people and not patients and you saved their life and you made them feel like they're the only person in the room when you talk to them. So let's dive into your medical school training and this notion of empathy. Do you feel like you were born with that genetic predisposition for caring about people? Or was it something that was learned? And do other people need to learn it? You know, that's a really, that's a good question. I wish actually that I knew how to teach people different things. Because over the last year, I think in COVID world, we could have used a little bit more empathy toward each other. However, 
I think it was probably more just how I grew up. I mean, I had a younger sister and brother. We were left to our own devices much of the time. And so I felt kind of that maternal, instinctual, make sure that my little ducklings survive and thrive, you know, and going through school and residency, I definitely felt responsibility for the people that worked under me in terms of students or residents. And I think that's really shaped the different advocacy groups that I become involved with as, as a attending physician. Uh, however, I don't think that it's something that we really delve into much in medical school or residency. I think it's mostly a survival and get through one day after the next in school. Yeah. There's always been this uh, channeling my, my cancer career background. There's always been this conversation. I know this is not oncology specific, but do you want your doctor for any specialty to be a mechanic machine that does everything right or an empath, or is it possible that there's hybrid? Yeah. I mean, I would like to think there's hybrid. I, the biggest problem that we have is there seems to be a lot of extremes in any specialty and anything that you do in life. I think that it's not good to be one extreme or the other. Right. And I think that we've seen that as a culture and as a society. And so hopefully we can find more of the people who honor the hybrid version of us, right? Yeah, I see, again, going back to the comment section, which I think <laughs> I'm going to say because it's a good comment section. You have <laughs> you have treated many women with cancer. I've diagnosed several people with cancer, yes. And I think that just speaks to this idea of early detection. Is it really, you know, you're young, you're vibrant, you're doing your thing in your 20s and 30s, possibly in your teens, and you go for your general checkup and, you know, are you even trained out of the gate to identify these early symptoms? Oh, yeah. And I think that's so important, especially if you look at the data coming out of how we've been doing preventative care during COVID and at this kind of post-vaccine time for preventative care, it really hits home that we need to stay on top of these things. Cervical cancer screening, mammograms for breast cancer screening, making sure that you really know your family history so that we can test you for genetic predispositions. I think that we really drop the ball when we're not focusing on preventative care. And it's really the critical foundation to everything we do in medicine. No, clearly, I've been uh, a notable action figure in the space of you can't prevent anything, but you can try to not get certain things. And at least at minimum, gynecologic cancers between like Gardasil and pap smears, there are ways to try and really not get this stuff, but some of them are unavoidable. And I guess it's good that if you have something precancerous or cancerous with an OBGYN that you can trust, you know that that is a at least the least worst way to find out. Absolutely. And the thing that I have a hard time with is people who aren't listening to their patients that know their bodies, right? And so a lot of GYN cancers will give us warning signs. One of them is endometrial cancer. So a lot of my patients will come in to me and say, well, you know, I'm 65 and I'm postmenopausal. And I had a couple episodes where I had bleeding over the last couple of years, but my primary care physician said that it was fine. And then we do an ultrasound and we realize that there's some sort of mass that we need a biopsy. Your body's giving you a warning sign. If you're postmenopausal and all of a sudden you start having bleeding, that is your, your body's way, your uterus's way of telling us that we need to investigate that more. So there are a lot of things that we can do in order to diagnose it early and treat you early. Right. Which then leads me to one of my hot topics 
is reproductive rights through right. a cancer diagnosis and who's going to cover it, who's going to pay for it, how is that disclosed? And clearly when you're going through pregnant while cancer or wanting to have a baby after cancer, there has to be some level of wokeness between the OBGYN community and the oncology community. Absolutely. And I think what is so critical is open communication, right? And making sure that the patient's aware of all of their options. I've had many situations where patients just didn't even know that different things were possible, right? And so we need to make sure that we're having open communications between OBGYN, reproductive endocrinology, because those are the folks that are doing the egg retrievals and the embryo freezing and IVF and all of that, and the GYN oncologist. So it does need to be a team effort to make sure that we're giving people their options. So I want to go back to like confidence, because I think it's it's still this, like when you go into the medical profession, you're choosing something that can be so emotionally draining and so painful at times and so rewarding at times. It's it's a roller coaster of emotions because at the end of the day, someone like you and you have to go home at the end of the day. And at three in the morning, are you reliving what had to happen? And how do you self-care and flesh out and flush out that? That's a really good question. And that's something that kind of comes with age. So as I've been going through medical school and residency, I think there's definitely been moments that have changed how you see patient care and your life and your balance and everything else. And, you know, especially when you see people that are your age getting cancer. Like I remember I had a patient that was my exact age, pretty much my exact height and weight, had just had a baby and she had ovarian cancer. And I was a resident and realized I didn't even have kids yet at that time. And it was one of those moments where you're like, huh, I really need to figure out how to live my life as full as I can live it. I need to meet the goals that I have personally and professionally, not kind of put myself in the back burner as life goes on around me. And I think that a lot of people are in healthcare, get stuck in this situation where their job is their entire identity and their entire life. And we have to find ways to carve out part of that for us. And for me, being with my seven and six-year-old as my escape, right? I tell them every day that snuggling with them is my favorite thing to do in the world. And it is. Um, And aside from that, really just trying to take little stolen moments, right? Because you know, life is crazy and chaotic, especially as a parent. And so if you can find even one day a week where you can work out and be by yourself for an hour, sometimes that can be a luxury, right? So we should be doing these things for ourselves just to be healthy and be preventative in how we care for ourselves and our bodies. However, you know, sometimes that's not realistic. And so I think if we can even carve out a single day where we can do something for ourselves, that's really important. So to put a spin on the what to expect when you're expecting, do you have any messaging downstream to the emerging med student, the aspiring OBGYN, the aspiring oncologist that's going through the educational process right now, maybe an early residency or something? You know, I would definitely say that having a mentor is is really nice. You know, someone who works in the field that you're, you want to go into someone who potentially has accomplished some of the things that you want to accomplish, right? So 
I wanted to get things done on a legislative side of things. And so finding someone who can mentor you through these things would be really lovely. I unfortunately don't have a lot of that potential because I do kind of a gamish of a lot of things. And so if you are a med student or a resident and you're interested in doing different things in the community or in your career, finding someone to get you connected and walk you through it, I think is a really nice thing. So any specific resources? I love the idea of finding a mentor. Is it that easy or is it like luck of the Irish? Well, it feels like luck of the Irish, to be honest. However, a lot of us are out there and we're more than willing and happy to to take people on. And you'd be surprised if you ask, right? I mean, how did we meet, right? We met on LinkedIn. And so if you go out there and you find like-minded individuals that want to work on projects that you like and you say, hey, can I shadow you or be part of this or work with you or write a research paper with you, you'd be surprised how many people would be open to that. Do you find any value in the uh, provider proprietary network, some not sponsored by this show, but like Sermo or Doximity? How do you talk to your peers across the planet? You know, I think that we actually have a lot of groups that have developed basically as a functional need because of COVID. And so there's actually several Facebook groups that have developed and we share a lot of medical information through that process. There's also different physician mom groups and there's different Minnesota physician groups. And so I think that that has really added an outlet for people to talk to each other. Um, I will tell you that women have been better at this sort of thing just because of the groups that have developed. And part of Patient Care Heroes, which is this organization that we're starting, is going to have a component where physicians can talk and kind of deal with some of the stresses that they've been experiencing through the pandemic and beyond in terms of their careers and development. Back with our guest after the break. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind. With Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
So going back to Don't Google Yourself, which I Googled you, of course, I, I want to read an excerpt of an interview you gave on Corazon, which is like some planet in Star Wars, I think. But either way, it's called Corazon. <laughs> so one of the questions that you were asked in this article was, what's the one or two accomplishments that you're most proud of? And you said that you're the, you were the first girl to hit an out-of-the-park home run for Appleton North High School. Hey, how was that possible that no girl before you ever hit a home run? But kudos for you for hitting that home run. Well, I mean, that was actually a really important day for me, apparently, because, well, first of all, we won the game one to zero. I hit an out-of-the-park solo home run. But yes, I was the first girl to do it. So there weren't actually... I think there was only like four or five years before our year because it was a newer high school. The other thing that's listed in here as something you're really proud of, of course, and I, I think this is extraordinary when when new moms can do this, is you donated extra milk to help other twins, an adopted baby. Like that's extraordinary. I just that speaks to just this chronic maternal giving nature that you bring to your profession. Yeah, I did. And I think that it's I mean, I thought it was really cool because I still have a relationship with the mom of a set of twins and she, you know, near and dear to your heart had cancer. And so it was my way of trying to help her feel like she was supporting her babies the best she could. And I was able to uh, donate for their entire first year of life. Extraordinary. I want to dive into the fact that you work at a community center, uh, not like one of the big giant Guns Mayo Clinic is like kind of down the street, but can you give a little insight into what it is like to work at a not Mayo Clinic type of center? What are some of the limitations or maybe it's there's more familiarity where you know your neighbors kind of stuff? I actually would say that we're just as good as Mayo Clinic, but M Health Fairview is a great large organization that has many different subspecialty providers. And I would say that the benefit of it is we do get very close to the people that we refer to. And I just had a situation where I was texting a couple general surgeons on a Friday night to try to get a plan for one of my patients go through so that we had something to tell her and get things moving. And so it, it is kind of that community where we can rely on each other, which I think is really important in healthcare. Yeah, I wasn't suggesting the quality of care is any better or worse. It's just the, the, the level of intimacy that happens at a smaller center is definitely to the benefit of the culture of that community, no? Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and we still try to deliver all of our own patients as well. So the group that I'm part of delivers their own patients. Of course, we all have you know things and kids and lives and everything else. And so, of course, there's people at times that won't be able to be there. However, we, we do try to do that. I think our patients really value that. And I think it really decreases safety issues because we know our patients well. I, I also want to talk to you about what it's been like Obviously, we've mentioned the pandemic. We cannot not mention the pandemic as we're recording this in February. But to the extent that PPE and ensuring your safety and quarantining with your kids in a different house, how have you personally been managing this while maintaining your capacity to doctor? Yeah. Um, so I think that it's definitely presented different challenges for everyone at first when we just really didn't know how it was going to play out. I think there was a lot of physicians that did quarantine away from their family. I personally uh, chose not to do that. We just tried to be as careful as we could. At one point, I was literally changing in the garage and then coming into the house and showering and, you know, not touching my kids or 
kissing them or anything until I was kind of had a once over. Um, however, now we become a little bit more lax, which I know is terrible to say, but I don't change in the garage. I come into my house and I shower in my house and then go on with my day. But we all, we also have the luxury of being vaccinated now. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, obviously we were looking at our first line heroes getting vaccinated first. There's all sorts of I would say they're kind of good arguments, like why not us? Why not postal workers? Why not cancer patients? But I think I'm on the side of like the doctors should probably be first. The people, you know, at the deli should probably be first. Like that makes sense to me. Have you gotten any friction or or sensed any of that in your community? Yeah, it's challenging because everyone has an opinion, right? And all we can do is look at the data that we have and make the best decisions based on that data. And I think that the problems that we've had have really centered around people making decisions not grounded in fact. And I think that the individuals who are working in healthcare have the highest risk of exposure that they can't avoid. So for us, especially you know, ER physicians, ICU physicians, nurses, all of us, we just can't avoid it. That's our career. That's every single day we're taking care of these patients. And we've, you know, marched into this knowing that that's a situation. And for the vast majority of us, we've kind of lived a very boring existence for the last year. We haven't traveled, we've stayed home, we've quarantined. And so I think that it's important for the people who can't avoid exposures to be in line with getting the vaccinations because for the vast majority of people, they can avoid constant contact with the virus. Yeah, if, if they believe it's real. Yes. I mean, that, <laughs> I mean let's couch that, this. Yeah. I mean, there's that whole issue, too, unfortunately. Right. I mean, have you encountered I, I it was either you or someone in, in your field. I remember having a conversation where they're treating somebody actively in like death's door from COVID in full verbal denial that this could possibly be that. Yeah. Thankfully, my patients are really amazing and I haven't had that issue. However, there are tons of reports of that being the case, especially in the Dakotas. So I just have a generic question. Can women who are pregnant get the vaccine? Is there any indications that this is something they should probably talk to the doctor about anyway, but there's nothing in the data that suggests that this is a bad thing. No, and I would 100% say talk to your doctor because I think there's so much misinformation out there. We want you to have the accurate information tailored to you. But if you are curious about it, you can certainly look at the professional statements by ACOG, which is the American College of OBGYN, and also the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine. And I print these things off for my patients on a daily basis, because I think it's so important for people to be fully aware of the pros and cons of everything they walk into, especially when they're pregnant. But I personally would have no problem with my sister, my best friend, myself, if I was pregnant or breastfeeding, getting the vaccination. Yeah, to science. What an idea, right? <laughs> well, we want to make sure that people are making informed decisions, right? We don't want people making decisions based off of, you know, someone's sister's cousin's aunt that said that they saw some article on, you know, a random site that doesn't have factual information. That's the that's the hardest part that I've found in this whole pandemic is that countering some of the misinformation is more challenging than just giving people the facts. Yeah. Joe and Jane's vaccinefacts.net is probably <laughs> not the best place to get your information. 
you'd be surprised. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So I guess there's a, a rabbit hole we can go down on an entirely different show. But <laughs> can you give us a sense of any anti-vaccine sentiment that, that has been thrown at you? COVID notwithstanding, cancer notwithstanding, anything else in OBGYN, you're talking about Gardasil, right? Clearly. Yeah. And I will tell you a lot of the problems that I had with getting people to take Gardasil are crossing over to the COVID vaccine. And I'll let me kind of explain that. So I don't know if you remember when Gardasil came out, but there was this misconception, misinformation that it was going to lead to infertility issues, right? And so as of late, there was a whole entourage of people that were passing around information that the COVID vaccine was going to cause infertility. And that is absolutely not the case for either of those vaccination sets. So one of the things that I found fascinating with you specifically, Kelly, is you're one of the few doctors that's been very vocal on the internet in a good way. I look at other leaders like uh, Grace Cordovano and Mark, Mark Lewis, and did, you have a phenomenal presence on LinkedIn and TikTok of all places, <laughs> which I, I mean, like, I'm an old guy. I don't know, whatever, TikTok, whatever. But where did you decide along the way that this was like either a steam valve release or a way to express yourself and or to, or to vent and, and give authentic, you know, visuals to the realities of being a doctor during a pandemic? You know, I will have to say that it started with too much time on my hands, right? I mean, it was the quarantine situation. And my sister had sent me a few TikToks and I started going on it and looking at it. It was it was entertaining. It was like a mindless thing that I could do where I didn't have to put thought into it. And so eventually I decided to make some of my own and there you have it. And and honestly, so what's your TikTok handle? I I'll put a link in the description. I don't know if we need to do that. Oh, but. come on. We can't tease the listeners and not talk about how to follow you on TikTok. Oh, man. I mean, I think it's Kelly Stuck MD. All right. We will put a link for, for all the curious people listening to this about what an OBGYN does on TikTok during a pandemic. The, the Kelly Stecker channel is something to check out. I want to just spend the remaining time we have to talk about, we mentioned this in the other segment, the patient care heroes initiative i feel like it shouldn't have had to take a new administration to recognize the loss and the death of COVID. as of this recording we're approaching i think 440,000 americans lost to the disease and yet how many of them are actually the doctors and nurses and the frontliners trying to save the lives of people that had it and you really took an initiative on your own with collaborators so let's talk about that I really thought it was important for us to honor these people and support their families. And when I thought about what we are doing and con contrasted that with what we should be doing, uh, I really saw this huge void. And I'm thankful that we have people that recognize that now. And I really feel like we have a potential to affect changes legislative wise or really just kind of quality of life wise for these people. And so what I wanted to do is create this hub where we can come together and have this area where we have collective grieving, right? I mean, just like any other disaster that we faced as a country, right? If you look at 9-11 or some sort of other horrible disaster we've had, we have a grieving spot, right? We have where the towers fell and we could write cards and we could put 
flowers and we could all unite against that common evil, right? And I think that we have lost that ability because really we've been dealing with this across the country. We've had people that have felt like they were not valued. We've had physicians and nurses bullied and verbally abused and even attacked in their scrubs because people have assumed this was a hoax. And so the morale is very low. And then you have people who have done amazing things to take care of patients fought through it, got COVID and died. And then you have family that's kind of left going, huh, was my loved one even appreciated and valued? And so looking at that space, I really wanted to look at how this was affecting the medical community. And really the first priority I have with the initiatives is looking at mental health, right? And If you look at burnout before COVID, it was extraordinarily high, and now certainly it's much higher. And so that's a real healthcare crisis that we have in terms of making sure our nurses and our physicians are healthy and they're happy because that translates to better patient care and better safety. And then from there, we really want to look at how are we treating these people and how are we getting the mental health resources? So if you have, again, a disaster or a school shooting or anything like that, we are able to get people mental health care, right? We have a whole team come in, a trauma team. We have therapists. We have everyone coming in to work together and support and rally around that community, okay? And so in healthcare, we basically deal with the problems and we suck it up, right? There's a lot of emergencies that I've been a part of that a week later, I'm like, oh, that was actually kind of a traumatic situation. Um, And we don't spend the time to debrief on that. And so when that translates to overall mental health and depression and anxiety and PTSD, even, we're seeing a lot of untreated Um, underdiagnosed situations in terms of our healthcare teams. And then looking further into that, we have to look at the barriers. Why are people not seeking treatment? Well, there's stigma. Uh, In healthcare, we're basically just supposed to be superhuman and move on with our lives. And that really gets into that situation of empathy versus mechanical, you know, robot. And who do you want to be on that line. You know what I mean? Like, where do you want to sit on that, on that spectrum? And if you're more toward the empathy side, of course, you're going to feel these things more deeply. And um, the problem with that is it really causes a problem in terms of your processing of these traumas. And if you look at the licensing issues and things that physicians suffer with, um, every year we have to disclose different things on our licenses in terms of if we have any disabilities or mental health issues. And of course, that's a different thing state by state. However, there's a real concern that people might have ramifications with their licensure if they seek mental health assistance. And so you can see that it's just kind of a whole, you know, spiral for people. And so with Patient Care Heroes, my primary immediate most urgent goal is to get access to 24-7 barrier-free mental health care. And so we are starting to work with different partners across the country to give people grief resources and mental health resources and counseling and all of that. And so really we want to be a place where people can feel comfortable and not judged. That is fantastic information. And again, we'll put a link to that in the description. Okay. One last comment and one last question. I didn't realize you were a band geek. I was a band geek. (laughs) I played trombone and baritone horn, and I heard you played saxophone. Is that correct? I did. Yep, I did. Alto saxophone. Yep. Okay, so Band Geeks Unite. Final question. 
Why is To Kill a Mockingbird your favorite book? Oh my gosh. I I mean, it's just so pure and delicious. I mean, I really think it's because of this need for justice. And I think that that is really at the core of so much of what I've been fighting for my whole life, right? Like I want to fix it. I want to fix it for the next person. I want people to have a sense of I can move forward and I'm not alone and I can have justice served, right? And I just love how that book kind of captures a lot of those things. Dr. Kelly Stecker is an OBGYN at M Health Fairview Center for Women and the co-founder and president at Patient Care Heroes. Thanks for coming on the program. Thanks so much for having me. That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.